Welcome to the Cybersecurity Readiness Podcast Series with Dr. Dave Chatterjee. Dr. Chatterjee is the author of the book Cybersecurity Readiness, a holistic and high-performance approach, a SAGE publication. He has been studying cybersecurity for over a decade, authored and edited scholarly papers, delivered talks, conducted webinars and workshops, consulted with companies, and served on a cybersecurity SWAT team with chief information security officers. Dr. Chatterjee is Associate Professor of Management Information Systems at the Terry College of Business, the University of Georgia. As a Duke University visiting scholar, Dr. Chatterjee has taught in the Master of Engineering and Cybersecurity program at the Pratt School of Engineering. Hello, everyone. I'm delighted to welcome you to this episode of the Cybersecurity Readiness Podcast Series. As artificial intelligence technologies, AI, continue to evolve and be leveraged, organizations need to make a concerted effort to safeguard their AI models and related data from different types of cyber attacks and threats. It's a real pleasure to welcome Mr. Chris Sestito, he goes by Tito, co-founder and CEO of Hidden Lair, an AI application security company. He has over a decade of experience leading global threat research, intelligence, engineering, and data science teams with a focus on security products at organizations such as Silence, Wallace, and Agari. Hey, Tito, welcome. Glad to have you on the podcast. Hey, thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here. So before we get into the details of securing AI technology, the AI apps, let's talk a little bit about yourself. Share with listeners some professional highlights. Yeah, absolutely. I, I came up as a reverse engineer in uh, in more traditional cyberspace as I would look at threats that would come in and you know worked for some government contractors and some earlier in the space. And I would do a little bit of analysis on the functionality of those threats. I would do some attribution work and try and show who was responsible for those threats. And actually, in the in the earlier days, kind of early two thousands, I was uh, I really found artificial intelligence at the time some simpler machine learning models to be really useful tools in predicting who was responsible for threats. And that's when I got really excited about the marriage of, of sort of some of the data science technology that was available in within cybersecurity, within a man-made science. And in a man-made science, you can actually have data sets that are pretty uh, representative of the actual real-world problem you're trying to solve. It's not, not something you always get in the, uh, the natural sciences where it's only something you've been able to understand or digitize. And so, you know, I really uh, was excited about that. And, and that brought me to a company called Silence. I learned that this was an organization that was replacing pretty legacy signature-based detection capabilities within antivirus products uh, with machine learning models. And that was really important because back in the day, threat actors started catching on that we were just sort of doing signature detection. And so they learned, hey, we don't have to write more sophisticated threats. We just have to write newer threats faster. And so, um, you know, Silence leveraging machine learning models gave us the first opportunity to ever convict and quarantine threats that we had never seen before. And so that was really exciting. And I spent about seven years there and finished up as their head of uh, research and intelligence, which was both the data science and threat research teams. And uh, and so since then, I've been working on leveraging artificial intelligence technologies uh, to advance cybersecurity. And then more recently with Hidden Layer, uh, we've almost flipped the direction there and started learning about, you know, it's just an incredibly vulnerable technology. And it also happens to be the, you know, fastest deployed and adopted technology we've ever seen. And, and that that sort of uh, imbalance of how vulnerable it is and how fast it's getting out into the world, into our hardware and software, uh, really led us to to focus on this uh, full time. Fantastic. What a career. Wow. Truly, truly honored to have you on the show. The global AI infrastructure market 
is forecasted to reach more than 96 billion by 2027. According to McKinsey, there was a 250% rise in AI adoption from 2017 to 2022. And the most prominent use cases included service operations optimization, creation of new AI-based products, customer service analytics, and customer segmentation. So tremendous progress, exciting field, but there are some serious security issues. Interestingly enough, AI not only provides various capabilities, it also creates vulnerabilities, and those vulnerabilities also need to be addressed with AI. AI is both a disease and a cure. Your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, very, very well said. I think that that's, that that's one of the most important things that I think ultimately at a societal level we need to look at right now, which is how much we are very, very quickly becoming addicted to this technology. Uh, we're already leveraging it to replace uh, you know, human beings. We're leveraging it to replace traditional decision-making engines. And, and it's getting to a point where within even, even very short periods of time within the context of, you know, relative to a company, that has to make decisions, um, you know, even like within a quarter, we're, we're becoming, you know, we're getting artificial intelligence systems to become single points of failure in some cases. And so, um, you know, I, I think the best way for me to describe to who haven't been living in the, the space for a while is to really compare it to traditional technological shifts that we've seen in the past. And so, you know, when, when I talk about artificial intelligence being vulnerable, it's vulnerable in a bunch of ways. It's vulnerable at a code level. It's vulnerable at inference time or, or essentially at real time when the when it's making decisions. Uh, it's vulnerable at the input and output stages with with the uh, users and, and customers and the public interacting with your models. Uh, it's vulnerable over networks. It's vulnerable at a generative, as we mentioned, like where you know we see uh, writing vulnerable code today and these types of things. So 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 to, to to simplify that, like like just to start at the code level, when I think about just sort of how new this technology is, like if you, if you take like a Microsoft file, a Microsoft executable file, we have thirty years of of security infrastructure alongside that now. I mean, if you, even simple things like we sign them, we have very strict permissions within them of where you can read, write, and execute the code. Uh, we have, you know, declarations of the libraries you're importing. We have security versioning information. We have, you know, I could go on and on and on. And none of that exists in machine learning models today. Uh, and yet we're still exchanging code with, with each other. We're still putting these into production systems. Uh, we're still um, allowing it to be built into hardware and software products today or all the way up into things like driving cars. And and so, you know, it's just an incredibly nascent field. It's very, very, it doesn't have that sort of evolution of of controls over long periods of time. And then you, you take that and compare it to everything else I mentioned in terms of like, you know, the real-time decision-making vulnerabilities, the the generative side, the network side. And, and, you know, it's an obvious deficiency on the security side, but it's not stopping anybody from, you know, attacking revenue opportunities with these models. And so it's really getting pretty widespread. Absolutely. In fact, uh, as I was uh, listening to you and also doing my own research, what is very interesting in this field is the threats are constantly evolving. So it's not like you can come up with security solutions and hope that they will last for a while. It's a constant moving target because the more we accept AI in our lives, in our products and services, the more we are increasing the attack surface. It's like, you know, when we talk about enterprise digitization in general, I like to say that, yeah, we are getting smart with technology, but with smartness comes a price and the price is all kinds of vulnerabilities. And now we have AI, you know, chat GPTs of the world and other stuff. 
where which is making life interesting, maybe in many ways more efficient. But every step of the way, as you were saying, the hackers have opportunities to manipulate code or get the application to go to, you know, unverified or manipulated data sources and then produce output that they would like the readers to see. I'm trying to simplify it, but you know what I'm talking about, a data poisoning, direct and indirect prompt injections. So all kinds of issues. There's one thing I wanted to ask you. I found it very interesting. And that is, what is hallucination abuse? I came across this interesting term here. I would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. I think that there's, you know, to reflect on your earlier thoughts before I answer the question, I think that one of the things to keep in mind is is how persistent attackers have been against every new technology. And I think that uh, artificial intelligence most certainly won't be the first technology they decide not to attack and not to be creative around. And they certainly have sort of creativity and innovation in numbers where they're trying a lot and there's a lot of motivation in that regard. And so that can lead us all the way to specific types of abuse. And hallucination abuse is certainly one example there where you have sort of models that are hallucinating, which is a normal expectation. Uh, you know, obviously, everyone tries to minimize that with the sort of, you know, generalizations of the data they've been trained on and certain outcomes that may be unintended that we we kind of can refer to as hallucination in some cases. And then hallucination abuse would be the threat actor trying to manage and manipulate the scope of those hallucinations to basically curate desired outcomes. And so just as you mentioned, whether it's something that, you know, in the case of an LLM, it's easy to or it's easier to to envision where you have sort of like, you know, if you wanted to hallucinate uh, or force a hallucination of an LM to uh, to say something biased or to say something, you know, uh, toxic or or potentially to uh, make a determination that it wouldn't have otherwise done, like allow access to something or to uh, include something in a response that it otherwise wouldn't have, uh, th- these are all on the table. And so uh, threat actors, you know, are, are hyper interested in being able to, whether it's on the training side or whether it's on more of the uh, the scope of the hallucinations and the manipulation of guardrails within the model, uh, getting models to essentially uh, output the, uh, the the desired scope of uh, of the response. Yep, very true, very concerning, but very true. So let's get to the heart of this topic or heart of our discussion, and provide listeners with some solutions or methods, techniques whereby they can secure AI applications. What would be some of your recommendations? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that this is, uh, you know, the, the best way I can broadly describe, you know, my sort of take on this is we should be holding artificial intelligence to the same standards that we hold other technologies. And I would add no more, no less. I think that there's certainly concern around some of the regulatory steps that we're about to be taking here, because the last thing we want to do is slow down innovation, right? We want to be responsible here, but we don't want to stop advancing. And especially when other, you know, entities that we could be competing against, whether that's in a corporate scenario or a geopolitical one, you know, we don't want to handcuff ourselves. But at that same time, there there are certainly steps we can take to be more responsible without really slowing much down. You know, we say here at, at the company I work at, a hidden layer, you know, if we're doing our job right, we're allowing innovators to take even more risks and and to, to responsibly deploy models in places they wouldn't otherwise. And we could actually accelerate that innovation. And so, so you know, that, that's a big piece of it. But I would say to, to answer your question, you know, there's there's a lot of things we can do. I mean, I think, you know, the first thing you should do is is make sure what you're working with is legitimate and what you expect it to be and what it's purporting to be. So things like, uh, you know, if you're bringing a pre-trained model in and you're going to further train it to your use case, scan it. You know, you use a solution to understand, is there code where code doesn't belong in there? Am I actually working with the model I believe it to be? Or has it changed shape? Uh, has it uh, been altered in some way? That That's a really important piece. 
Uh, and then, you know, I would also say the uh, the monitoring side is very, very important. You know, one of the commonalities we're seeing in some of these secure AI frameworks coming out from Google, from Microsoft, from data uh, is detection and response and monitoring those. Uh, who's using your model? What are they doing? Like, these are all things we do with like uh, in the cyber side, we call it endpoint detection and response. Where we're monitoring how threat actors are interacting with those assets. Uh, we should be doing that with artificial intelligence as well, because, you know, if we're providing inputs and outputs to our models, to our customers, they're just as available to threat actors and we need to see how they're interacting with them. So uh, there are solutions that allow and then we develop some at Hidden Layer, but there are solutions that allow you per requester to understand how they're interacting with your models, how they're using your systems to, uh, you know, are they trying to abuse it? Are they systematically enumerating your feature space or are they just leveraging the solution? And so, uh, you know, then I would extend that through the LM side and the generative side as well, uh, more broadly, where you're looking at, you know, what are you training on? What are you using there? Because we've certainly found threat actors who are intentionally contributing vulnerable code to these repositories that they know some of these code generative solutions are training on so that they learn to write vulnerable code. And so there's these cyclical opportunities for threat actors there. So you need to ensure that that's not happening. So I, I would say a lot of different areas, uh, certainly already mostly explored and defined by traditional cyber that I would I would hold artificial intelligence to that same level of standard. Absolutely. In fact, I had a question for you here. One of the common recommendations, you know, from the standpoint of securing AI applications is to work with reputable AI security experts. So there's all kinds of people out there brandishing all kinds of skill sets, maybe overpromising. So how do you cut through all those, say, professional details and really identify people who know what they're talking, who know what to do to really secure your applications. What guidance would you give listeners? That's a great question. It's a very important question because there are many, unfortunately, who are uh, sort of guising themselves as, uh, as, and unfortunately, you know, sometimes it's pretty obviously thinly veiled. But I mean, if you look at just you know, even like 22, 23, we had obvious shortages of even just more generalist data scientists. And then all of a sudden in 23, we had like 9,000 new data science companies come out. So it's there's obviously some who are trying to kind of overstep in this space or trying to, you know, generalize their traditional cyber knowledge into the AI or, or vice versa. And so it's important to understand who you're working with. I mean, I think that What's seemed to have happened, uh, which I don't necessarily love, but it, what seemed to have happened is a lot of focus on AI red teaming, which is uh, interesting and certainly an important part of the the problem, but by no means the starting place. I mean, I think that, you know, if you look at, I mean, red teaming models is a wonderful exercise, but, it, but you know, we also need to look at things that are a little bit more foundational to security before we get all the way to AI red teaming. And so, so I would definitely recommend that side. When you're going to be looking for a professional in this space, you know, I think that unfortunately, when you're talking about somebody who's an expert in cyber and an expert in the uh, artificial intelligence world, you're really not talking about that many people. And so I, I would look for a dedicated firm that, you know, whether it be some of these uh, larger organizations that have teams or whether it be uh, dedicated startups like ours or, or a handful of others out there that are in this space, uh, that's who I would reach out to. Because on the consultancy side, um, you know, you're, you're seeing a lot of folks you know, as you mentioned, kind of brandish these skill sets that may or may not truly be there. So I would absolutely look at that history. I would look for somebody who's had to work on artificial intelligence models in real world environments. I would look for those who have had to work on models that were exposed at the edge and, and maintain the security associated with that, because that's really who you need to help you get through those same those same sort of issues versus somebody who's had uh, a little less experience in, in sort of the real world application side. You don't want somebody who's only been operating in sandboxes, that kind of thing. Right. And, you know, kind of to add to that, and I'm sure um, you mentioned it, is that, you know, just follow the traditional vendor or partner selection 
protocols such as get references, go and check out their work, see what their other customers have to say about them. So basically learning more about what they have already done and how effective they have been as opposed to all the promises that they are likely to make. So that kind of is common sense, but sometimes, you know, in a rush to, I think that's a problem with industry and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, is in a rush to get to the market, you know, quickly get out the products and services, security is almost seen as an impediment, as a hurdle. And this is true for, you know, anything that is uh, any application that needs to be secured and AI applications even more, but then there's this rush to get there. And that brings up a very interesting discussion I was, I was having with another guest on a recent episode relating to AI. And he made some very telling comments about major technology companies getting rid of their AI ethics teams so they can quickly get their AI applications through and to the market. So once again, we are compromising on internal controls in a rush to gain market share. And that is concerning because right there and then, you know, you're hurting the process of for securing anything, especially, you know, AI-enabled applications. Uh, your reactions? Yeah, it's very scary. It's, you know, I mean, there, there's already, when, when you have the nature of like black box technology or, or, or technology that there, there's already some organic and naturally prevalent explicability issues, like, like, you know, trying to traverse a neural net or something like that. I mean, to then take those who are closest to that and responsible and accountable for holding ourselves to, to, you know, ethical standards or something along those lines, that's very scary. I mean, I think that when you look at, and, and I'm less concerned with the sort of a doom and gloom rhetoric of, of artificial intelligence taking over the world. I'm, I'm far more concerned with uh, the foreseeable threat, which is um, bad people interacting with artificial intelligence and whether that's an internal creator who's trying to do something, you know, a little less scrupulous, like, you know, get this out faster or something like that. That's a concern or, or whether it's as extreme as someone who wants to, you know, extort or or uh, potentially like undermine populations, which is certainly in the cards here as well. So when you look at an organization um, skipping those steps, I mean, that's very scary. And I think we're going to be looking at regulators uh, even as early as, uh, as like, you know, this year and maybe even the very near future to start holding some specific accountability, whether it comes in the form of like industry specific regulation or whether it's, uh, you know, output from like the executive order or, you know, what we see going on in the EU with the AI Act. I think that's going to be really required here because there's such an, I mean, you know, there's an obvious opportunity for generating revenue for advancement quick. And there's not one board on the planet that's not discussing how generative AI solutions can accelerate that organization's mission or or potentially become more efficient with things like jobs. And, and so there's going to be a lot of interest in moving even quicker. And to your point, I mean, security has always been, uh, you know, something that we think about second, not, not something that we think about first. And so that represents us that organizations feel like if they skip, they'll be able to earn more or, or something along those lines. I mean, there's, there's going to be a lot of motivation to do that. And, and then and it's, it's going to be up to to us and to regulators and to those who care to ensure that that's not the case. And so, yeah, there, there's it scares me to my core. I mean, I think that the threats associated with artificial intelligence are the exact same threats that are associated with other technologies. And, and it's always people. It's always bad people who want to take advantage of the scenario. And there's an enormous opportunity to do that right now. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the importance of recognizing that and taking appropriate measures, talking about measures, you know, I'm really big on measures that go beyond technical controls, such as how actively engaged in is top management to ensure good systems and processes are in place 
that's continuously providing vigilance to the development and use of why only AI products, for that matter, any product, because we are in that kind of an environment where you need continuous monitoring, you need prompt processing of that intelligence. You are an intelligence expert, so you can tell me later whether I'm correct or not. But what I have seen out there, intelligence is being gathered, but processing it properly, documenting it, and promptly acting on them, that's where the problem lies. You know, there is a lot of checking the box going on. Yeah, we do this. Yeah, we do that. But the question is, are you doing it well? And that's where top management needs to jump in and say, yeah, we know all these threats are out there and we are not going to be able to immune ourselves from all of them. But are we doing the due diligence that will make us look better in the eyes of the customer before the judge or the jury, before the media? And we shouldn't have to wait for legislation to tell us what we should be doing. I think there is enough intelligence, best practices, security frameworks out there it's a matter of believing. It's a matter of being substantive in your approach. And I believe you can accomplish all of this without moving away from your focus, which is you know selling your products, developing products. So there's never a suggestion here that you know just become security focused, but have a process or have a structure in place where you're getting periodic reviews. You're constantly in the know of things and not being caught by surprise. So, and it, all of that stuff, it relates to creating what I like to call a high-performance information security culture. That goes right back to top management's commitment. As you know, you know, they set the tone at the top. So they have a huge role to play as opposed to just outsourcing it to a team of experts and hoping miracles will happen or taking the approach if something were to go wrong, we'll blame X, Y, Z. So it's that kind of a hands-off approach in the big scheme of things, in my humble opinion, doesn't work. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think, well, I think you nailed it. I mean, I think the motivations are so important and, and it does kind of come top down. I think really one of the things that I think, you know, those who are less interested in sort of being complete in their, whether it be security or whether it being ethics or, um, you know, strategy along this side, I think there's a, a temptation to say, oh, man, uh, artificial intelligence, there's some black box things going on there. We can throw our hands in the air and say, oh, well, it was the model. And and that's not true at all. I mean, there there are so many ways that we can understand what's going on. We can have a very strong understanding of the inputs we've fed that model, a strong understanding of, you know, the rigor and the parameters and, and uh, everything that went alongside building that system. Uh, you know, with regardless of what framework it is. And I think that that's something we need to. And when, so when I say things like let's hold artificial intelligence to the same standards we do from like, you know, traditional decision making engines, you know, that, that's exactly what we're talking about. I mean, I think we can understand things like, you know, what was the quality of the data? How was it collected? Uh, how was it secured? You know, all of these things can certainly be uh, be tracked. How are people interacting with models that can also be tracked? I mean, most companies aren't even logging the interactions with their models today, which is insane when you think well, you, if, if you thought about that, you know, compared to how somebody was logging your application. Like, I mean, that we would never accept that. And and there's really no difference at that level. So I, I firmly agree with you. I think that there's a, uh, you know, an opportunity to do the things that we know how to do. And then, you know, where we do have, you know, some of that black box interaction uh, with artificial intelligence, you know, there, there are going to be areas we don't always understand deeply. That doesn't mean we can't inter understand everything that we can about it, um, you know, uh, tangentially. And so I think there are some organizations today who are very quick to throw their hands in the air and say, oh, I guess we'll never know what's going on. 
Uh, let's just keep plugging it in and make money on it. And, and that's certainly not acceptable. I think you know there are a lot we can do to understand what's going on uh, with regard to artificial intelligence systems and and it does need to be top down. Um, you know, like uh, just again, we're we're a, you know a small company. We're just one example, but we absolutely do things that we can there. Like for example, we will not do business with anybody who scores under the median in the World Freedom Index. You know, I think th- things like that that you, those are very controllable decisions that you can enforce. And you know, we can always track things like that. We can always track things like the data we're feeding, the models, the controls that are available, who's logging in, who's interacting. Th- those things are all there and very proven mechanisms for you know maybe you have to engage some resources, maybe you have to put some. Uh, some effort into it, but but you know we absolutely need to, and and uh, and you know regulation will certainly come around the corner to get us there. But but I like what you said about how it really shouldn't take that. We we shouldn't be waiting for legislative controls. We should be you know doing the right things now, and we really need the good people to outweigh the bad people here uh, in terms of what's going to uh, reinforce that and reinforce those standards inside of an organization. Absolutely. In fact, I'm going to uh, go out on the limb and even say this: you don't need to be a technical expert to provide oversight and ensure that every step is being taken to secure your applications. What you really need is the desire, the intent, and you'll be able to find the right people, create the right team, create the right infrastructure, create the right feedback mechanism. So it really boils down to intent more than anything else. You know, the expertise can be located, but ultimately, you know, the ball is in your court. When I say you, I'm talking about the senior leadership. If it's my company, if I'm the president of the company, the CEO, I have to take ownership. I can get a team around me to help me, but I have to really make some calls and they have to be based on the genuine intent. So I know I'm probably repeating myself, but you know, sometimes these are these soft intangibles that are more important, often harder to implement than the other stuff, which you can still do. Okay, yeah, sandboxing, very important, doing it well, you know, customizing your Gen AI architecture, choosing a tenant, isolation framework, conducting isolation reviews, prioritizing input sanitization, optimizing prompt handling. You know, these are all great. And they are, and like I asked you about uh, working with reputable AI security experts, these are all excellent recommendations. And they are very doable, but the glue that puts pulls all of them together into a coherent whole, into a coherent wholesome approach to security is once again that high performance information security culture that only top management can set into play and then support it so it becomes part of the organizational DNA. So even with turnover, even with changes in the revenue state of affairs. The organization is operating at a certain desired level of ability and competence to secure their products and services, especially the AI-enabled products and services. So those are my two cents, but you are the expert. And I always like my experts to conclude our episode with final thoughts. And please don't feel rushed. If there are things that you'd like to add by way of best practices, go right ahead. Yeah, I mean, you know, immediately I'd like to to echo your uh, you know statement there on not requiring a deep uh, technical knowledge and and to be a subject matter expert in order to you know sort of forward the integrity of the organization and the decisions that are being made. In fact, I, I would even argue that most of the uh, the leaders on the ethical sort of uh, cha- or championing the ethical decision making at, at organizations I've worked in the past often were not the engineers. They often were not the the technical subject matter experts. They were product leaders or they were upper management who said, hey, we're going to hold ourselves to higher standards here. 
because that's what's right for our customers. That's what's right for our team. And so I, I would just like to just just to you know sort of reinforce that I completely agree. And, and I think that as easy as it can be to be intimidated by artificial intelligence systems, if you're not a data scientist, if you're not a somebody who's worked in that space, you know, don't allow that to happen. Um, you know, you 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 can still very quickly understand what feels like a high integrity decision and what feels like a low integrity decision, and voice that. Um, because you know you're you're certainly empowered to do that in an organization that that you represent, and so uh, yeah, f- fully agree there. I, I think you know in, in terms of closing uh, thoughts, you know I, I think that it's really important to to understand that artificial intelligence is a tool that uh, humans are using, and I think that the humans are still by far you know by, by you know mechanisms like the data that's being leveraged by mechanisms like the scope of control that the decision-making engine is being given. It's all coming back to decisions people are making. And so, you know, uh, there's, you know, again, it's fun to watch podcasts about people talking about Terminator 2 coming to life. But but in reality, it's uh, the threat that we need to keep an eye out for is, is people. And the threat actors that we've been dealing with for uh, the last few decades are the same threat actors we're talking about here, uh, taking advantage of artificial intelligence. And, and so inside the organization, it's going to be the decisions that the team makes that's ultimately going to uh, dictate the successes that's ultimately going to dictate the, the credibility and the, the ultimate integrity of the product and the people who are going to be affected by it. So, you know, we're, we're really at an inflection point. There's there's going our artificial intelligence will most certainly be used against people. It will be it will, it will most certainly be used to you know subvert populations and uh, underrepresented people. And it's going to be up to people to not allow that to happen. So so I think that that's you know really just the, the last thing I want to say is is that you know no, no matter what you know other sort of complexities exist, it's ultimately going to be people who are going to impact what's happening here. And and uh, it's going to be people who are, you know, just like people who are listening to this, who are going to be speaking up, who are going to be, um, you know, allowing um, that sort of direction to take hold. So even if you feel powerless, everything that we've talked about today is certainly within the control of the people who are going to be helping make these decisions. So, um, you know, hold yourselves and hold your organizations to uh, to very high standards and, and do not allow artificial intelligence to be uh, kept outside of those things. Fantastic. What a wonderful way of summing things up here, Chris, Ito. And once again, thank you for your time. It's been truly a pleasure talking to you. Same here. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. A special thanks to Chris Sestito for his time and insights. If you like what you heard, please leave the podcaster rating and share it with your network. Also, subscribe to the show so you don't miss any new episodes. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode. The information contained in this podcast is for general guidance only. The discussants assume no responsibility or liability for any errors or omissions in the content of this podcast. The information contained in this podcast is provided on an as-is basis with no guarantee of completeness, accuracy, usefulness, or timeliness. The opinions and recommendations expressed in this podcast are those of the discussants and not of any organization.